but I don't I really don't have any regrets I really don't I've I've lived exactly how I've wanted to I've tried my hardest every single time I didn't win the matches that maybe I should have always won or but I really gave it my all so that for me is enough Hello everybody, welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm Jonathan. And I'm James. This episode is unlike any we've done before. It'll be recorded in two countries, two separate sittings, two separate sets of equipment. <laughs> we are about, yep. what, 50 minutes from setting off for the airport to head to New York, and then we'll record the rest of the episode there. So here, you'll get a lot of the etc. stuff. And then in New York, we'll record the draw analysis, whatever that turns out to be. All right, let's get into it. We brought you an episode on Monday, and there's been a lot of news since. Actually, a lot of news today um, about the location of the year-end finals. Oh, see, I haven't even had time to pay attention to that. Well, I, this will be news to me. So it's still up in the air, but there's been a ton of reporting about it. Some speculative, some uh, actual reporters with sources the the big news is that the ATP, as expected, announced the next-gen finals in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia, from uh, this year until 2027. So this is the, big, the first big event announcement related to Saudi Arabia. Now, the WTA has several bids they're going over at the moment for their year-end finals. They still haven't chosen a site this year, as you know. Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, is one of them. John Wertheim reported that Prague and Washington, D.C. are other bids. Uh, we don't know if there are more. Reportedly, Riyadh is, is the highest bid, which is not a big surprise. The WTA is kind of not in the position to turn down the highest bid, generally. Well, I, you can always turn it down. Sure, they could. Prague would be a great site, considering the just the level of Czech talent on the tour they uh, always get a huge crowd in Ostrava. It seems like that would generate a lot of buzz for the World Tour Finals, but they might not let Arena Sabalenka into the country. Mm. So that's not the tournament. That's the country of Czechia, Czech Republic. If your potential number one or number two player isn't allowed in the country, you can't pick that one. So probably counting that one out at this point. I don't know that that's the case either. Because if you're presenting me with two offers whereby there is an issue with both, which do you go with? Mm-hmm. Uh, I yeah, think that, it's that pretty presents clear. it like the Riyadh one is. Oh, you just have to take it. No, no, but I think the WTA will be taking the Riyadh one. We might even know, uh, you know, within the next few days or week. I think it's supposed to be decided next week. The one in DC, it is uh, co-led by the owner of the LA Dodgers. And Billie Jean King is actually uh, on the ownership team. She owns like a percentage of the Dodgers. She also was laying the groundwork for the WTA involvement in Saudi Arabia. Uh, yes. So she's got her hand in many of these pockets, <laughs> be it financially or otherwise. Yeah. So my point in saying that previously is that, uh, fine, Sabalenka isn't there. Is that a problem just for this year or are you looking long term? Mm-hmm. Long term, what does it say about the WTA, the largest women's sporting organization in the world with one of if not the longest histories what does it say about them if they are involved in sport washing 
And exactly. my point in my point previous is that we've seen the groundwork being laid for that criticism to be counteracted, right? Mm-hmm. That oh, this will go a long way toward helping the plight of women. Right. And, you know, we've sent players and executives there on exploratory missions to get their sense of what it's like in the country. I, I mean, they're obviously going to get the best of the best, right? They're going to get the best version of any country if you're trying to sell a sporting organization on it. But they turned down China for years for moral reasons. So it can be done. Right. But how do you... So what's the difference? It's going to cause a lot of outrage either way, because we've already heard Dasha Kasatkina's thoughts on it. We know that the backdrop of the Ukraine-Russia war has had a decent-sized effect on the tennis the last couple of years. Right. So whichever choice is made, unless it's DC, (laughs) this is not going to be a win-win for the WTA, I don't think. Right. Getting back to next-gen, it'll have the the highest prize money in the tournament's history of $2 million U.S. dollars. It's going to be played on indoor hard court. And, I mean, this is what we're in store for, for perpetuity, right? For the year-end championships, they're always going to be on indoor hard court. We're pretty much always going to complain about the surface. John Wertham was all over this today. Lots of insider knowledge that he was willing to share on Twitter said that the WTA was at one point part of this discussion to bring an inaugural next-gen event alongside the boys. That fell apart, apparently, reportedly due to the ATP's unwillingness to split prize money and stuff 50-50. Not surprising. I always, like, I know we've said this before and, and probably haven't been cautious enough, but when people criticize, oh, the WTA's not doing anything, or they turn down tennis TV, or they turn down such and such tournament there's probably a lot more going on behind the scenes that we don't know. And this is an example. The WTA is trying to value its product as equal, right? Equal to the ATP, at least at the next-gen level. And let's be real. Right, at least at the next-gen level. The young women are winning slams. I think you're referencing a pretty glib tweet from, who was it, Russell Fuller? Oh, I don't know. No, I'm not referencing anything. You quote tweeted that tweet this week. Oh, which is it? (laughs) It's the one where they were making it seem like the WTA just, oh, well, la-di-da, oh. we're going to leave Tennis TV and we're going to create our own product and lo and behold, it's inferior. And no, it was um, it was Stuart Fraser, I think. And what he was... One of those What lads. he was reporting was correct, but there was a whole lot of context missing. It was like, why did the WTA turn down that deal with Tennis TV? Why do you think... If there was a deal on the table, why would the WTA not take it? Like, think about it, (laughs) right? And these are people who have spent and do spend a lot of time in tennis and have access to behind-the-scenes stuff. Right. Like, this was an intentional omission, if you were to ask me. I didn't like that. The next-gen thing is just, it's kind of funny to me because I I believe that the WTA could put on a better product for a next-gen, right? I think they have more more talented, more success at that age level. What it boils down to is that the ATP has more resources at its disposal. I think this is a good segue into this new ATP baseline program that was announced. Mm -hmm. It's a three-year trial program aimed at financial security for players, whereby, based on your ranking, you'll be guaranteed a certain minimum income. This is 
a trial for the top 250 players. That'll be based on the year-end ranking. If you're top 100, you will be guaranteed to earn $300,000, which means if you don't earn that, the ATP will top it up. If you are 101 to 175, your guaranteed income is $150,000. And then 176 to 250, you're guaranteed to earn $75,000. The second pillar of this baseline program is injury protection, which will provide support for players who play less than, sorry, fewer than. It's a countable noun. Thank you, Jonathan. <laughs> it's one of uh, my... <laughs> One of my biggest pet peeves. You know, public school education and English grammar is really bad in the U.S. I feel like when okay. I told you this, you didn't even know. I mean, I, like, I think abstractly you knew of that rule, but you yes. didn't know that it was an actual thing. No. Uh, I don't want to get on a tangent too much, but I, and I think a lot of people my age, learned English grammar by taking a second language. That was like the only time we mm. learned the proper names for things. Anyway, injury protection... Anyway, what it means is that the ATP will provide support for players who play fewer than nine events in a season due to injury. Now, this is a big one. And number three? Newcomer investment, whereby young players will have access to $200,000 upon breaking into the top 125 for the first time. And that'll be paid ahead of the subsequent season. So that one's pretty pretty good for them. You hit the yeah. top 125 and here's a boost of cash to invest into your career. I will say, though, that TikTok Tennis pointed out that uh, the first pillar that you talked about, the guaranteed base earnings, it's kind of smoke and mirrors because they're guaranteeing under this proposal that if you're ranked between 176 and 250, they will top you up to a minimum of $75,000, right? Mm -hmm. TikTok points out that already now, not even at the U.S. Open, the number 200 player on the prize money list is already at $200,000. So... There will be very few people benefiting from that first pillar. Right. I think this is where the injury protection support kicks in big time. Because you can be a player finishing just outside of the top 10 and say you missed 15 tournaments you would normally play. That'll impact your income in a big way, right? What was very instructive to me when this news broke was how... Everybody involved with the PTPA rushed to take credit for this. <laughs> yes. And pretty much everybody's saying it's amazing how much the pressure that we put on the ATP, how much that has borne fruit already. Look at the work that we were doing. And I'm sitting there and I'm reading this and I'm saying, where is the evidence for this? Am I just supposed to blanketly believe you on this? The release came from the ATP. It had Grigor Dimitrov's name attached to it as being part of the player council. Like this was a player council initiative. So you're now here on the sidelines, not giving me any dates as to what meetings you attended, any notes, any transcription saying what specifically I did to influence this rather than your talking points, your bland one, two, three, four, five things that we're going to do to change and revolutionize tennis. Nothing has been specific. I've heard nothing specific in the last two years from the PTPA. And now you're coming here to try and take credit for this thing that has quite a few holes in it. Right. But the ATP did it. Right. Now, Novak Djokovic has been talking about guaranteed income for a long time. That, that could have been some of the influence. Who knows? 
I think it's not really quantifiable at this point, at least from from where we're sitting. We have no idea if the PTPA influenced this from the ATP. Maybe they did. Maybe they did. Maybe just the the pressure. They have a lot of players who joined up with the PTPA. This could be a, a kind of a union avoidance tactic. A lot of companies, you know, will kind of sweeten the pot to uh, disincentivize people from joining a union, right? They'll say, well, we can give that to you regardless. You don't have to join the union. Right. But after two years now, I want to see something specific. Oh, yeah. Like, and I'm just side-eyeing everything else because what are we doing? All I'm getting is, oh, there's a photo with so many players. So many players came to our meeting it's all photo ops. It's all PR at this point. I want to see specifics. Yeah. The money thing is interesting because, as you said, you can look up the the yearly earnings among the ATP, and everyone in the top 10 has earned more than $610,000. That's last year. Uh, the guarantee is three hundred now in this pilot program. Compared to golf, which the PDPA does, and I think to its credit, frequently compares tennis to other uh, individual sports. The number 100 player in golf earned $1.3 million last year. So every single person in the top 100 earned at least a million. That's a lot. It's a it's a pretty big golf, right? Get it? Golf, golf. It sounds the same to me when you say it. it uh, we pronounce it the same. Well, we've been through this Where on I'm the from. show before. I, I actually wouldn't know how to pronounce it. I've resisted the anyway. urge to make a quip about it just now. <laughs> yeah. uh, John Millman was talking about it on Twitter, and he estimated that a player who travels internationally probably spends around $200,000 a year between travel, accommodation, coaches, fitness, all that stuff. I mean, that's a lot of money, obviously. And unfortunately, this pilot program is not going to help anybody who's outside the top 250 who probably really, really needs the money, who may not be breaking even at all. But it's something. I'm sure we'll get more news about this in the next two weeks. The slams are one of the few opportunities on the calendar where the majority of tennis players, executives, people who wear suits and ties and make decisions, where they're all in the same space. Mm -hmm. Sitting down to record this episode... It got me thinking, where are we now today heading into the 2023 U.S. Open compared to where we were last year? Last year, we had news that it was going to be the summer of Serena. That this was her last hurrah. She'd be retiring at the U.S. Open. We went and saw her in Toronto. Mm -hmm. I went and saw her beat now-retired Annette Contivate in New York City. The first week of that tournament was dominated by Serena and Venus. The ticket for them playing their final doubles match together was a hot one Mm -hmm. that first Thursday. We headed into that tournament where Iga was number one, but eh, who really expected her to win that tournament? It came not as a surprise, but she wasn't a hot, hot favorite. That's different this year, I think. She's a much more accomplished player on all surfaces, continues to improve. This year, Novak Djokovic can play the tournament. Last year, he could not. Mm -hmm. Last year, Carlos Alcaraz was still an up-and-comer. He'd had Masters 1000 success, but he hadn't yet won a slam. He did that at the US Open last year. And now we're in a space where Alcaraz, Djokovic, number one versus number two, this is squarely 
the focus in men's tennis and folks are hoping for and salivating for this matchup to happen again. I would push back gently on your characterization of where Iga is, like with regard to the rest of the tour. I think last, I mean, last year was a very dominant year for her. And though she may not have been expected to be like the number one favorite for the U.S. Open, considering her performance like in the North American summer swing and her history at the U.S. Open. I mean, she barely won any matches. Right. It wasn't great. But I also think, I don't think she's an overwhelming favorite this year. I think she's the favorite, period. But we're also in a place where, like, power has shifted slightly in the WTA, where Sabalenka's now a slam winner, Rubakina, although injured, won Indian Wells. Mm. You know, like, we have this supposed big three, but there are more players, like Pula and Goff, Jabor. Right. She hasn't run the table heading into this tournament, mm. but... Neither has anybody else. Right, right. And to my mind, Iga is much more consistent. Her base level across all surfaces is much more consistent. Yeah. Heading into this tournament. She performed the best she ever had in Toronto Cincinnati swing. Right. So that's all I'm saying. So we'll get into how the draw actually shook out when it came out today and what the permutations are for certain players. Because you could be... One of the hot favorites, and you draw Camila Georgie in the first round. <laughs> you know, and something uh, yeah. something happens. On the men's side, just to chip in to what you said there, I think Djokovic and Alcaraz are so, so far ahead of the rest of the field. It's not even funny. That doesn't mean that Kaspar Ruud won't be the finalist again, uh, that Medvedev won't push through, but it just seems like the chief rivals, the contenders, are just not peaking at the right time. Does it matter if they peak? Their peak oh. isn't good enough right. to date. As you head to the U.S. Open for the first time, your first slam experience, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that you're looking forward to? And who are some of the players that you want to go see? Um, well, I've never seen Carlos in person. I sort of assumed I had because we've been lucky enough to see mostly everybody like in Cincinnati and Toronto over the years. We haven't been to Cincinnati but it's been in a like while. four years. It's for, 2019 feels like maybe a year ago to me. Of course, I want to see Carlos. I want to see Alejandro Davidovich. I want to see Miss Coco, Miss Pagula, which is slightly surprising to me. <laughs> uh, I want to see Yelena Rabakina again. Got to see her on grass, which was super cool. Who else? Babs. <laughs> Hello. Krachikova. I want to see Chris Eubanks on home soil as a top 30 player mm-hmm. and see what that's like compared to when I was watching him on court 17 last year in qualifying, just trying to get into the tournament. Yes. His yes. stature in the game has risen so much. Like he's on the Today Show now. He's seen <laughs> as Professor Eubanks, right. the most affable, intelligent guy on tour kind of thing. He was just mobbed by fans yesterday mm-hmm. at Arthur Ashe. And I want to see that change, what that's like for him. I want to take that in as yeah. well. And of course, uh, Francis, Zhang Qinwen, I don't I don't know if I've ever seen her. I don't think I've ever seen her play. I saw her last year at the US Open. Okay. You want to go check out that hitch to see if it's improved? <laughs> if it's fixed in time? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think this year, I want to see players that I saw last year and see them again. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. kind of like gauge the progress, the change, just who they are now a year later. I, I was... Watching Kaspar Ruud again on court 17 last year. And I was thinking to myself, how is this dude top five? (laughs) (laughs) 
I was like, what am I watching here? Why yeah. are you struggling against this dude? And there he went to the final. Right. I was lucky enough to watch Francis on the grandstand against, oh gosh, I'm not even quite sure at this point. But it was a night match and hardly any people were there. And I was there with my friend just taking it in. And it was such a great experience. That may never happen again with Francis at the mm. US Open. No. <laughs> no. Relegated to the grandstand. And so I want to I want to see him again in his element after his semifinal run last year. I also, uh, I don't know. What else do I want? To, I don't know what's there. So I don't know what I want to see. You want a I honey want, I want a honey deuce. Uh, both a frozen and on the rocks. So you're going to have to give the review of the two on the next episode. I will. I'm just, I'm already like... Uh, preemptively complaining about the prices though i just don't understand why north american sports venues can charge this when in other countries they don't i think it was 22 or 24 dollars for a honey juice last year that's like 32 canadian dollars it's crazy for a drink Mm. anyway just because it's made with the goose i will be having one (laughs) several in fact i want to see the globe I forgot what Unisphere. That's what it's called. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see the Althea Gibson statue. Uh I want to see the former Shea Stadium. Okay. City Field. Yeah. Is it new? I should know this, but I don't. It probably is. I don't know. Anyway, I'm No, it definitely uh, is because the before at Shea Stadium, the Mr. Met Apple thing used to come out of the ground in a certain way (laughs) when a home run was hit. And now it's different. Oh, so... I don't know. Maybe I don't care about City Field. And Yankee Stadium is gone too, right? So It's a new Yankee Stadium, yeah. Uh, Last year I looked into going to Yankee Stadium while I was there, but the Yankees weren't in town. And I don't think they are again this time. I'm just, I'm excited to be back in New York. It's it's been a while since I've been back in the city. I want pizza. I want bagels. I want delis. Just, I'm mainly there for the food, really. (laughs) Big news. Big news. Big news. Mother Williams. Serena has had baby number two. Last year, she played her final tournament at the U.S. Open after she had written this expose. Not an expose. No. <laughs> a personal essay. <laughs> she, she wrote a personal essay saying that she was wanting to transition away from tennis, mm-hmm. right? And within a couple of months, she was pregnant. And now, baby number two has arrived. Adira River Ohanian. The baby was debuted on Instagram. With Alexis and big sister Olympia. That uh, was very cute. It was very, super cute. I think we were all surprised that the baby arrived so soon. I don't think I realized how far along she was. I didn't either. Yeah. I was just having a conversation with a friend at work who currently, I mean, she's my age. And I don't think she has any plans to have children. But she's always had a name in case she had one. And <laughs> it was River. And she's just getting increasingly annoyed because everybody is stealing her baby name. <laughs> you can't and, <laughs> uh, reserve a baby name. Sorry. And then two, not more than two days later, here comes Miss Serena. Oh, are, like are people naming girls River? Yeah. Because I, I just know River Phoenix, which is a cool name. Serena had a baby girl. Well, I know, but yeah, other, well, I've, I've never heard it. It's a, Other people are, are... It's a neutral name. Okay. I think which is part of its appeal. Yeah, Sure. You know, I didn't gender the baby. I just called Mm -hmm. it the baby. Okay. More good news. John Isner announced that he's retiring at the U.S. Open. We have suffered long enough. It's been 84 years. And people are being scolded online for celebrating this. Get off it. Can you imagine spending your day like that? (laughs) 
<laughs> I mean, to be so oblivious that in August 2023, you can't grasp why somebody would not be here for John Isner. Like, oh, it's just because who he voted for? Babe, we're not That's we're not, not even the tip of the iceberg. At this point, we are so beyond that. Ugh. Anyway, his legacy is immense, though. I'm waiting I mean, for we, something shady. No, I mean, we saw one of the most significant rule changes in tennis in the past few decades just because people didn't want to watch him play. <laughs> You're laughing, but I'm dead serious. Yeah. I mean, Do you has... know how infrequently Wimbledon changes the rules? Yeah. Just how boring this dude was to watch tennis. It's hard to fathom. Yeah. We won't have to do it anymore. So, yeah. Banking on a few more retirements, but... uh. <laughs> going to keep those locked up. Uh, well, we're going to head out now. <laughs> and we'll catch you in New York with the second half of this episode. Till that time. <laughs> and that time is now. We are in our hotel room. <laughs> we're back. We're in New York previewing the draws, finally. We've been watching uh, ESPN's preview coverage, Qualies Week coverage. I don't even know they did that here. It's been a while since I lived in the U.S., but that seems like a, a value add. It's been a while since you've lived in the U.S.? Well, uh, 15 years, to be exact. <laughs> yeah, we definitely don't get all of that in Canada. We have different coverage, uh, so it's nice to get that perspective, I guess. Uh, yeah. A lot of press events, obviously, the Americans were profiled, uh, what was it, Esquire, recently, with that photo spread. The Americans have a higher profile, I think, than they have in a while, because the men have... The American uh, men have a higher profile. Yes, I'm just saying because the men have finally leveled up a bit and started to, like, <laughs> compete with the women. They have five seeds on the men's side, three of them mm. top 15, Francis at number 10, Fritz six maybe and Tommy Paul number fourteen. I mean, so that's something. I mean, we're force fed; it's shoved down our throats every single broadcast for the last fifteen years about <laughs> where are the American men, how are the American men doing, and lo and behold, there's actually something to report on. Right? No, for there those is something interested happening. in that. I mean, Tommy Paul just beat Carlos Alcaraz recently. He was the semifinalist at the Australian Open. Of course, Francis has semifinal points to defend here. We initially intended to do the women's draw first, but this little impromptu intro kind of leads more seamlessly to the men's draw. So let's do that. Sure. The first thing that jumped out draw is that Alcaraz and Sinner are drawn to play in the quarterfinals, which could be a rematch of their classic quarterfinal from last year. And on the women's, Iga and Coco draw each other in the same quarter for the fourth slam in a row. And you know, probability is my worst subject in school ever. Who but I know, that? but I know that the probability of that happening four times in a row is one over two hundred fifty-six. Well, that's better than me because. And I looked it up just to be sure. Mm. <laughs> but back to the men's draw: Alcaraz as the number one seed opens against Kupfer could face a tricky third round in Dan Evans, who just won the Washington, D.C. title. I feel like this is being a little bit too granular for me. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're giving too much detail. We like to be more general with our draw previews. Well, why don't we look at a, a few first-round matches yes, first that you want to talk there. about. I mentioned Dan Evans. He opens against Galan, who you may or may not remember beat Tsitsipas in the first round of this tournament last year. I did not remember that. Yeah. Griekspoor against Archufis in the first round. Fies has been playing some good ball. 
that guy opens against Alexander Vukic, and that's unfortunate for Vukic because he's been on a tear lately. And maybe that means he'll be able to do the job and be enshrined enshrined into the Body Serve Hall of Fame. <laughs> That'll do it. Andy Murray opens against Quentin Moutet, Stan Wawrinka, Yoshinishioka, Sebastian Baez, and Borna Chorich. Chorich, who is, where is he now? Is in Winston-Salem? Not yet in New York, mm. still mm. in that tournament. Of course, he was the winner in Cincinnati last year, crashing out in the first round this year. Hachanov against Michael Moe. I feel like I haven't seen Hachanov on tour in a while. Or maybe I just naturally don't pay attention to what's going on in that gentleman's life. You never did, really. No. It's always been a blind spot for you. Uh, Wu Lajovic. And how about Rusevori Rublev, which is a rematch of a recent match in Cincinnati, which Rusevori won. You skipped over Umber and Berrettini. Oh, Umber yeah. has been playing really well lately, and for his spoils, he gets Matteo Berrettini in the first round. Mm-hmm. Matteo, who overperformed his ranking at Wimbledon, may do so again. He's being featured in the uh, the charity match for Ukraine. Like He's still a big star, clearly, and he might benefit from some of that. On the bottom half, some first-round matches to watch. Fucevic against Korda. Korda still making his way back from injury, but still seated. One of those five American men who are seated at the U.S. Open. Francis Tiafo opening against Lerner Tien. One that we will probably be turning up for. Alejandro Davidovich Fokina against Marcos Giron. Yes, definitely. That's how I'm going to pronounce <laughs> Marcus's name on this podcast forever. Hey, that's how he said it. If you listen to him pronounce it on the ATP website, that's ex- that, the intonation, that's exactly how he says it. We've got Bublik team, uh, Ben Shelton versus Pedro Kachin. Shelton, earlier in the year, had the opportunity to be seated, uh, and he was at one of the slams. One or more, I can't remember. Now he's ranked around 46. Tsitsipas versus Raonic. For somebody who lost in the first round last year, this is not an ideal draw. Raonic is, uh, at this point in his career, like he doesn't know how many more opportunities he has. He has the chance to rain down 50-plus aces at will. It's not the best first round for either of them, obviously. I mean, <laughs> more so for Milos. But th- he's not somebody I'd want to see if I was Stefanos. Stefanos is coming off a win in Los Cabos. I'm quite frankly tired of talking about Stefanos Tsitsipas. <laughs> because I never know which Stefanos is going to show up. Mm. I don't know what to expect. I'll just let that man do what he needs to do. All right. Chris Eubanks opens against Sun Wu Kwan. Could be a lot worse for him. In fact, his entire draw up until the fourth round could be a lot worse. Yeah. And mind you, he did beat Tsitsipas at Wimbledon. Yes. Felix Auger-Aliassime against Mackenzie McDonald. Not good. Not great, Bob. Uh, this could this could uh, be a first-round exunt for Felix. Those are some of the first-round matches that we thought looked interesting. They may be completely boring to you. <laughs> Uh, but now let's go and see where, further down the draw, what we can look for. There are a couple mm-hmm. second-round matches that stick out to me. Well, I should say there are two of them that stick out to me, and they're both in the first half. Andy Mori could play Grigor Dimitrov in the second round, and Gal Mofis could play Andrei Rublev. Ah, yes, okay. The other one is uh, whoever wins Wawrinka and Nishioka could play Echeverry 
he played really well on clay, but his seeding is he's the 30 seed mainly because of his great success on clay this year. It is an it's a good chance for Wawrinka to make the third round, but will he beat someone like Sinner here? Don't know. The Dimitrov Murray match to me is yeah, that could be exciting, but they will probably have to play Zverev and I don't trust that either of them will beat him considering Dimitrov lost badly to Zverev only recently. And that's just not something anybody wants to see. That second quarter, it's kind of open for a lot of folks to make a mark. Max Purcell is there as well. He's been playing just top ball lately. He could play Medvedev in the second round. You've got Jerry. You've got Duminar. You've got Hachanov. Urkacz, Umber, Mofis. He's been a giant killer lately, beating all manner of top 10 players. Mm-hmm. I think this section here is primed for maybe like a first-time quarterfinalist, a return quarterfinalist, a, a surprise quarterfinalist. We shall see. Yeah, Medvedev was so dominant toward the beginning of the year, and he seems to have stalled a little bit making the round of 16 in Cincinnati, the quarterfinal in Toronto, but losing to Dimonor. I think there could be a shocker here, or we could see yet another Medvedev-Rublev Grand Slam quarterfinal, and we know how those typically go. Right, but also Hachanov has a lot of success here in New York. Yes, that is true. Uh, He is a semifinalist from last year. Rather than... I guess typically we'd tell you what the quarterfinal matchups will look like. I think it's better to stop one round earlier and by seed highlight who the round of 16 matchups would be. And according to this draw, it would be Alcaraz against Nori, that guy against Sinner, Medvedev, Dimonar, Hachanov, Rublev. Yeah, Alcaraz got the uh, statistically easiest round of 16 the one versus the 16 seed which doesn't always happen Zverev Sinner I mean that guy is going to look to thwart another classic quarterfinal between Sinner and Alcaraz will we get it I don't know I mean Carlos seems invested in making this rivalry uh one for the ages (laughs) he wants to be Yannick's friend Yannick as you know is he's just a little bit dry a little bit more standoffish in uh, temperament, so their interactions are amusing to me. I am frankly surprised and disappointed that that guy is still seated as high as number 12. We had such an opportunity this year for this not to be the case. Right. (laughs) And it didn't pan out. And he just beat Medvedev in, uh, where was it, Cincinnati? On to the bottom half, round of 16 matchups, Kasper Ruud against Francis Tiafoe. Tommy Paul, Holgaruna, Tsitsipas, Fritz, Felix, Djokovic. Now, I hazard a guess that that Felix-Djokovic match will not happen. <laughs> no, sorry, I don't think so. Because if Felix did get past Mackey in the first round, he might get Serundolo in the third round. Or Vesely. I mean, we. I think we talked about it at the top of this episode, like bet against Djokovic at your peril. I know he has sort of a a chip on his shoulder at this event, but he's made the final many times. He last won it in 2018. I think he and everybody in tennis wants another matchup with Alcaraz. 
Right, but now he's won as many French Opens as he has U.S. Opens. Mm-hmm. Which is a strange stat when you look at his career. Which is to say, this is the slam that I think he's had the least success. When or, you take it, or like the most heartache. Well, wrapped up all together. Yeah. And I'm sure that will motivate him greatly to get a fourth, to then start marching toward a four times career Grand Slam next year. Mm-hmm. You know, the, mm-hmm. the march toward record immortality is never ending. Yes. Uh, I mean, he's back doing the impersonations. He's practicing and dancing around shirtless. He is feeling himself to the max. This man is going to be in our lives, I think, until we're dead. I don't like that statement because I'd like to live a long time. And (laughs) that's a daunting prospect. Now, far be it for me to assume Kasper Ruud would beat Novak Djokovic. But, like, it's not a walk in the park, right? Kasper was the runner-up here last year. He is very good over five sets. Not necessarily against Djokovic, but it's not... Are you trying to make the case for Kasper Ruud being able to beat Djokovic at this tournament? No, I'm just... It's just not guaranteed that Djokovic is going to make the final or win the tournament. Sure, but lots I don't of th- things have I happened. I don't think Casper is the one to look at. I mean, <laughs> no, Kas- I think maybe Tommy Paul. Holger is dealing with some injury issues, and at this point in his career, like I wouldn't bet on Holger to do that. But they have. Uh, I mean, if you're following Francis, I think he's gotten a kind of a tough draw here. But considering his seed, it's a pretty expected draw. I don't think it's that bad. He opens against Lerner Tien. And then in the second round, he'd play either Offner or Burgess. Uh, Manorino in the third round. Tricky for everybody, yeah. really, Manorino. And then Casper in the fourth round. It's it's doable. Well, that's where it gets tough, I think. Right. But you put that match at night. Francis has the benefit of the New York crowd. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. For yeah. me. I mean, he could have gotten Djokovic in the fourth round. He's the number 10 seed. Right, right. This is a tournament where I think Tommy Paul could make his mark. That that trajectory has mm-hmm. been happening for a while now. and Or Davidovich, if he recovers from having to retire a couple of weeks ago, he made the semis in Toronto. Mm-hmm. And what he could have done if not for that underhand serve at Wimbledon. Exactly. <laughs> Stefanos, as we mentioned earlier, I did so hard to... Stefanos could be in the quarters against Novak. He could be out early. I really don't know how to judge his chances here. But that rematch potentially between Stefanos and Chris Eubanks in the third round, a rematch of their fourth round, I think, at Wimbledon. Mm, mm -hmm. Taylor Fritz, who, uh, I mean, we saw on Breakpoint, feels that he has a lot to prove, disappointed with some of his performances last year. Uh, You know, he still has some ways to go to prove that he can do this stuff at slams. I mean, quite some way. His record at slams has been <laughs> okay. poor. poor. Okay. I, it I wasn't rubbing good. it in. Right, but I didn't want to belabor the we point. We have been guilty of this as well, of earmarking him as maybe one of the ones outside of Alcaraz to make a breakthrough of that young group. Yeah. And truth be told, the evidence for that just hasn't been there at this level. Right. I agree. So who are the the top men to look for to win this tournament, do you think? Who would you say (laughs) Um, are the the favorites to win this tournament? 
Alcaraz and Djokovic, and then everybody Which else. Which of those two is the top favorite? <laughs> Alcaraz. Okay. I think I would agree with that. And I would give Duminar a decent enough shot to go deep in the second week. He's been playing really well mm-hmm. since grass. He's had good results on hard as well. And S- Sinner? Does the breakthrough happen eventually? It has to at I some point, I mean, it point, has right? to. A winning Toronto was a good sign. And the way he matches up against Alcaraz is a good sign. I would say, like, for me, outside of the top two, I would say Rude, Paul, or Sinner. On to the woman, where Coco Goff hype is into overdrive. <laughs> yes. And draws Iga in a potential quarterfinal, again, as we said, for the fourth time in a row, which is just absolutely wild. Well, their head-to-head is now 7-1 after Coco beat Iga in Montreal. Uh-huh. And you know what? She proved that it could be done. I lied. After Coco beat Iga in Cincinnati. Cincinnati, yeah. Sorry, I didn't even... See, I don't listen to you. I didn't even catch that. Iga, as a number one seed, has an easy first few rounds, which, I mean, like, like people will complain about anything. I didn't know that Cochareto was seeded, to be fair. Yeah, uh, she's been playing well, as yeah. has first-round opponent Rebecca Peterson. Sure. Second-round opponent, maybe Clary Ngunwe. Yep, our Wimbledon junior champion. Or Clary opens against Daria Seville. She's back from injury. Mm-hmm. There's plucky Lauren Davis. Always there or thereabouts. <laughs> Fine. I, I think that first little bit to get to the third round, why people say it's easy, there's a lot of players who don't necessarily have massive results historically and also don't have massive games right, per se. Right. So, I mean, it's a pretty clear shot to the fourth round for Iga. As it as it should be, honestly. Right, but then she gets one of the weakest 16 seeds in recent memory, Veronica Kudermatova. Yeah. So, I don't expect Kudermatova to reach this round of 16. However, a lot of people are saying, oh, Penko could stop Iga. Ostapenko has never made it out of the third round here. Let us pay attention to Ostapenko's slam record. Because right. it's not good. It's the, well, it's the same thing we talked about at the French, right? Like, she won the French, of course, but her results since since then have not been very impressive. So I got to go with historical precedent here. Before I say that Yelena can come in and beat Iga, I just, I don't see it happening because we haven't seen it happening. It's not that she can't. No, definitely not. I mean, she beat her last year. She was the last player to beat her before Iga's historic win streak. She certainly can, but will she here? I don't really think so. She's only made four career quarterfinals, Ostapenko. Mm. And as you said, she's never made it past the third round at the U.S. Open. It's a it's a pretty sparsely populated career statistics on her Wikipedia yeah, like, page. Yeah, which considering her profile is, is really surprising. Well, and and her firepower. Her profile, it means what she can do on a tennis court. Yes. And her, I guess, level of fame amongst tennis fans. Infamy? Amongst <laughs> fame, tennis fans? Fame and infamy, however you want to say it. But yeah, Kudor Matova recently lost to Venus Williams. I would say she's certainly not at her best right now. That's the first quarter. Those round of 16 matches, Sviantek against Kudor Matova, Kvitova against Koko Goff. By, by, by seeding. 
Mm-hmm. Now, also there in that first quarter is the return of Caroline Wozniacki. She opens against a qualifier, which has not been placed yet. Matches have been suspended for quite a while in New York. Oh, I don't think it's raining anymore. Right, but as of 20 minutes ago, this is after midday, oh, Friday, okay. matches were still suspended. There were matches from yesterday that still have not resumed. Hmm. So they're pretty backlogged. Wozniacki opens against a qualifier, and then in the second round, she could play Petra Kvitova. Yeah, this is a, a really interesting little section, because we also have Jen, Jenny, Jennifer, Brady, starting against a qualifier as well. I think she entered on her protected ranking, and uh, Jenny could play either Sasnovich or Magdalenette in the next round, and then could face the winner of Petra Buxa Waz qualifier. Pretty fortuitous that two returning players, Caroline and Jennifer, are both facing qualifiers in the first round. Certainly no, not guaranteed. No, no, I push back. What? Qualifiers are some of the most difficult well, first round sure. opponents. But Caroline could have faced Iga Svantec in the first round. She could have also faced Veronica Kudimertova in the first round. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Wow, I'm just saying, really down on Veronica. I'm just saying it's easy to dunk on the qualifier as being an easy out okay well i mean i didn't mean all of that and then a bit further down in this uh eighth of the draw danielle collins starts against linda fruvirtova we've got mira andreva starting against a qualifier uh if she wins could play coco golf in the next round i mean andreva has been pushed yes yes for Quite a while now. I'm sure somebody in the know could tell us who her agent is. <laughs> like some somebody is earning their money, basically. Not to say that she won't be a great player, just that among the other players her age, she has been uh, put forward, chosen. Yes. In the second quarter, that's where we have two of our all-time faves on this show. Who? Kirstea and Benchich. Oh God. Okay. That's not really the headline here. But we also have Yelena Rybakina. We have the return of Ayla Tomlanovic. We've got Victoria Azarenka, Karolina Muchova, Sloane Stevens, Taylor Townsend, Maria Sakkari. Yes. Can we all just say, firstly, that Irina Sabalenka must have breathed a sigh of relief that Karolina Muchova was not on her side of the draw? Okay. And what of it when she beats her in the final? <laughs> Those round of 16 matchups are Rybakina against Bencic, Mohova against Sakari. Yeah, let's start at the top. This is Yelena's quarter as the number four seed. She starts versus Marta Kostiak, uh, which is, you know, Yelena has been struggling a little bit. She was injured during the summer swing. She had that late finish in Montreal that she was not happy about, and it seems like, uh, you know, the upward trajectory is shaking a little bit at the moment. Marta knocked out Sakari and Bedosa at Wimbledon, had those big wins there. This could be a tough one. How can you not be so big on Muhova coming through this section after what we've seen? Starting with the yeah. French Open, being able to now have super results on the hard courts, coming off a final in Cincinnati... 
it feels like her moment. If her body allows her, this could be a huge... Mm-hmm. Well, another moment. Yes. Uh, in a season full of moments. Kirstea, again, is another player who typically performs consistently at slams. Like, she will shake the table and could be tough for Rabakina on the right. third round. Maybe, meaning that she'll win a match or two. Sure, but she's a nuisance. She's annoying. We've got a potential Azarenka Bencic third round. The Muhova section is interesting to me. There's Taylor Townsend getting into the draw last minute. Starts against Gracheva. Hadad Maya versus Sloane Stevens. Personally, I see Sloane getting through that. Oh. Oh, yeah. No, like I'm... Honestly, I'm confident saying that I think Sloane will get through that match. We will re- we will revisit this. <laughs> Maria Sakari is the number eight seed down there at the bottom. She's got a tough opening match. I know I just said that this is a huge opportunity for Muhova, but should she not do it, this is wide open. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's a pretty crowded quarter, honestly. But I will say I don't really see any quarters of death like we've seen in previous slams, on either the men's or the women's. I don't think there is any section or quarter that is so ominous or horrifying. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It just seems that there are a sufficient number of players not in good form. <laughs> yes. I think that's what's, what yeah. the reason is for that. Yep. Because there are names all over the place. They're just names that have not been playing well. Speaking of, Caroline Garcia, the seventh seed, Coming off a failure to defend anything in Cincinnati a couple weeks ago, she opens against a qualifier before either Diane Perry or Katie Bolter in the second round and maybe Potapova in the third. And then Vandrosheva in the fourth round. I think this is a huge opportunity for Vandrosheva to come back after making, huh, making the Wimbledon final, winning the Wimbledon <laughs> final, right. and to back it up. Yeah. Now, we have Alexandrova there, who could meet Vondrosheva in the third round. Alexandrova, who had a really good grass season, starts versus Leila Fernandez, a former runner-up here, of course. Then next, could face the winner of Andrescu versus Sorenko. Canada will combust if that Leila-Bianca match happens. <laughs> right. And then Trevisan Putintseva is just the mess match. I'm sure a lot of y'all will be there at that match. <laughs> I Tell me how it goes. I will not be there. But you're right. This is a great opportunity for Vondrosova, uh, really, to reach the quarters. A great opportunity for Madison Keys. Yep. A little bit tougher for Madison, I think. We've got Samsonova and Keys as a potential third round. Svitolina, it still trips me out to see her as the number 26 seed here so soon. The opening match of Jessica Pagula versus Camila Georgie. Which now, I, referenced, that? I referenced that offhandedly yeah. earlier in the episode without saying who drew Georgie. <laughs> right, this is how you know the draws are not rigged. Because you have a third seed who is surging, who's been consistent for the past year or so, and has recently seen a big uptick in her stock price. And now she faces someone like Camila Georgie, who hits huge, who doesn't follow tennis, so she doesn't even know how Peggy's doing. She does not care. Like, she will she will beat anyone, if she feels like it. It might just be the billionaire tax. <laughs> right. By seeding 
Garcia against Bondrosheva, Samsonova against Pegula. Those are the round of 16 matchups in the third quarter of the draw. I want to talk quickly here about Peyton Stearns, who's had a, a fairly decent year. I watched her for the first time a few weeks ago, and she is giving Coco Vandeweghe teas, but with more oh. fluidity. Like, it's crazy. I don't think I've seen somebody resemble another player as much as she does Vandeweghe in quite a while. Interesting. Coco uh, Colleen lost in the first round of qualifying here. Well, you were paying attention to that, huh? I was. Yeah, I was surprised. Fourth quarter, bookended by number five, Anshabur, and number two, Arena Sabalenka. Jabour, just like she and Casper, runners up at the French and the U.S. Open, both, I think, were and will be underestimated here. Ons, it's really... I don't know. I don't know what to expect. Clearly, the Wimbledon loss was really difficult for her. She took some time away, which I think was smart, and she came back. She seems to be in good spirits. Your guess is as good as mine. By seed, it's Jabir against Krejcikova, Kasatkina against Savalenko. Pliskova is in there too. She is freshly split again from Sasha Bain, and... Uh, I mean, this is a site of many a success for her, this tournament. Maybe that'll conjure some familiar good feelings and propel her into week two. Right. Zhang Qinwen, a player who I said earlier that I was looking forward to seeing, would love to see a third round between her and Babs, Krejcikova. Dasha Kazatkina got a potentially tough first round against Alicia Parks, an American here who just won a big doubles title with Taylor Townsend. This is where Venus Williams is, if she's able to suit up and play. After losing in Cincinnati, we learned that she had this recurring knee injury. She pulled out of Cleveland, and it's kind of up in the air. But if she does, she opens against somebody who is also dealing with a more, well, a similarly long-term injury situation in Paula Badosa. Right. So if Paula Badosa can suit up and play, <laughs> she will play Venus Williams. And the winner of that match would play probably Donna Vekic to then play Kasatkina to then play Sabalenka. It's a tough ask. Oh, but Sofia Kennan is a potential second round opponent for Dasha Kasatkina. Sabalenka can't complain, I don't think. Really can't complain about this draw. I feel like she's had some of the easier draws in recent memory. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And I mean, the number one and two... Sure, I guess. Right. The one and two have the same likelihood of getting the easiest draw, right? That's like how draws are set up. So, I mean, no complaints here. And Oh, this section also has the uncancelable Marie Boscova. Did you know that? Uh, yeah, I don't know what that means. <laughs> uh, who are the favorites on the women's side? Oh, um, well... I mean, not to be obvious, but I think they're Iga, Arena, Rybakina. I'm picking the top four seeds. And possibly Coco. The only reason I wouldn't put Coco there is because she has to play Iga in the quarters. I would go even further to add Mukhova in that conversation. Yeah, that's a good call. And also, you know what? You won Wimbledon, put Vandrosheva there too. Give her right. that Give her that due. And then also Pegula. Yes. That said, there will probably be an unseated semifinalist and somebody who's going to piss a lot of people off. <laughs> Just please let it not be Camila. 
<laughs> That's all we've got for you. The tournament starts in a couple days. We're going to head to the site to hopefully maybe see some qualifying uh, this afternoon. Yeah, we'll be on site as well for the opening few days of the tournament. I'm super excited to see who will be playing on opening night after the garish flag ceremony or during. I can't remember how it works. I want to know who's performing. That's what I'm... Oh, no, that's what I meant. Oh. You said playing. Oh, no, I don't really... I want to know who is performing. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> see where my priorities are? Also, remember, on the tennis app, there's a body serve league. So fill out your picks for this tournament. We haven't done it yet. Hopefully we remember to do it before the tournament starts. Yeah. I mean, qualifiers aren't even in draw yet, so you have some time. Even if we don't do it, y'all are doing a fantastic job, sweeties. <laughs> you won't miss us. Yes. Yeah. No, you certainly will. I mean, it's not like we're great competition. It'd be good to have us in the draw so you have something to beat, you oh, know, wow. because we're that bad. But we'll share it on Twitter and, I guess, Instagram, the code. My name is Jonathan. You can find me on Twitter at tennis underscore John. And I'm James at Elliot JMR. Two L's, two T's. You can find everything body serve related at linktree.com slash the body serve. Thanks for listening. Till next time. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you very much.